This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Three people have been deported in connection with a recent brawl in the Newton area of Surrey, and there could be more. The fight, one of two caught on camera in recent months. The videos widely circulated on social media. Aaron MacArthur explains what we know about those removed from Canada and what officers say they're doing to improve community safety. The only topic of consequence on Surrey Airwaves? Violence in the community. Host Ashiana Khan planning a forum Tuesday night to try to point at some solutions. My listeners have asked to have this forum so that we can voice it out to the three levels of the government and let them know that we need some changes here. Recent swarmings in the Strawberry Hill neighborhood have been caught on camera. But until now, no arrests have been made. No charges have been laid. Surrey RCMP finally with a breakthrough from this assault in August. Three people involved have been deported. If you are here on a visa, whether it is a student visa, whether it's a visitor's visa or a work visa, participating in criminal activity can have serious consequences on your stay in Canada and you may be deported. Youth violence has confounded the South Asian community for years. The most recent example, a Remembrance Day brawl at a strip mall. But now a new wrinkle, international students seemingly involved as well. I don't know if it is a loophole in the, our system that uh, these students are given visas coming here which do not know how to behave in the society. RCMP still investigating the November incident, police actively trying to identify the people involved. They should be punished the same way as any Canadian would be punished, and uh, they should be sent back to their country. We don't want international students coming here and messing up our streets and our uh, community. We don't need this kind of behavior. While the crimes are often well documented, they are rarely reported to police. Businesses at these strip malls have taken to hiring private security, a measure aimed at actually improving community safety. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A difficult day in court today as a man who pleaded guilty to the second-degree murder of a tourist learned his fate. The family of the victim, 28-year-old Amelie Sakali, traveled to B.C. from Belgium for the decision. Our Rumina Dea was in court today. There's still one big question mark here, uh, Rumina, but before we get to that, we do want to warn our viewers some of the details in this story are very disturbing. Chilling new details, Sophie, revealed in court today for the first time. Um, actually detailing the, the last moments of this young victim's life. But there's one detail, one glaring detail that's still missing. We still don't know what the motive was. A life sentence with no eligibility for parole for 23 years for Sean McKenzie. Madam Justice Devlin's ruling, born out of a joint submission by both Crown and Defence. I think it's an extremely uh, heavy sentence and the public, I think, should 
also be aware that this is a life sentence. So in 23 years, he can apply for parole. It doesn't mean he's going to get it. This is a life sentence. My entire life is in shambles, Amelie Sakali's sister told the court in her powerful victim impact statement. She had a special dream to go to Canada, your beautiful country. Sakali's mother in tears as she expressed her profound loss. 28-year-old Sakali was traveling across Canada. She was hitchhiking from Penticton to Vancouver in August 2018 when she met 27-year-old Mackenzie, who picked her up in Headley. According to the evidence, Mackenzie struck Sakali in the head with the butt of a hunting knife. She tried to fight back. With full rage, Mackenzie bound her wrists and ankles and violently sexually assaulted her. The attack lasted more than two hours. Sakali escaped, but was bound again. She was crying. Sakali was stabbed 42 times. Her body dumped in the bushes near Boston Bar. Is he remorseful? He is. He's very remorseful. He's indicated that to the court and the judge accepted that. Mackenzie ultimately confessed everything to investigators. He has no criminal record, no history with police. We still don't know what the motive is. No, we don't. What is it? I don't know. Have you talked to your client about it? Of course. And when you've asked him why he did it, what does he tell you? Well, it's like I said in court, he's unable to offer an explanation. What does that mean? That's a, I, I'm sure for the public that's a very unsatisfying answer, but that is the best explanation that uh, we've been given. Sophie, the judge asked Mackenzie if he had anything to say before he was taken away to prison. He stood up in the prisoner's box, but he just couldn't articulate the words. He did thank the judge for the chance to do so, though. Back to you. All right. Thanks for that. Ramina Dea in New Westminster. We have some breaking news for you now. Potentially more job action on the horizon in this province. The union representing 900 SkyTrain attendants has called a strike vote. QP 7000 made the move after talks with the B.C. Rapid Transit Company broke down last week. The union president confirming the vote will be completed on Thursday and results will be announced shortly afterward. Eight days of mediated talks have been scheduled to start next week. Key issues are staffing levels, forced overtime, a lack of a sick plan and wage increases. Meantime, the next phase of job action by transit workers will be announced tomorrow morning. Today saw fewer disruptions than Monday, but tomorrow Unifor is expected to announce an escalation. The union says a failure by the employer to make new offers at the bargaining table will push it to ramp up job action. Wages are still the main sticking point. Following tomorrow's announcement, dozens of Unifor members from Coast Mountain Bus Company will receive strike training. TransLink is advising commuters to sign up for alerts to get the latest on the impact. Serious concerns tonight about some major delays experienced by people calling the non-emergency lines of dozens of police departments. The wait sometimes close to an hour. Richard Zussman has more on where the issue stems from and what's being done about it. 911, please fire ambulance. For which city? It's a call most people don't want to make, seeking the help of police. It's also a call taking much longer than it should. The challenge has been ensuring our community to not lose faith and to continue to phone the police when they have an emergency. Earlier this year, Victoria and more than 30 other jurisdictions moved non-emergency call services to ECOM. 
Since then, wait times have climbed, in some cases more than 40 minutes, to report a missing bike, a tire slashing, or any other non-emergency. We've had examples where people have waited for significant periods of time on a non-emergency line, hung up uh, because they're frustrated, and sent either a social media request or actually walked into the Victoria Police Station and said, I can't get through on the non-emergency line, but I'd like to report a crime. Ecom, which is owned by municipalities and public safety agencies, has been struggling on a number of fronts, including recruiting staff as well as retaining them. Some of the ways that we started the centre here on the island weren't appropriate to the size of the centre, and uh, we are making those changes right now. Ecom says province-wide, 73% of non-emergency calls are taken in five minutes or less. Gruder Andrews adding he gets frustrated himself if he has to wait on the line more than five minutes. We anticipate having a much better service experience during the course of 2020 than the public has experienced in this year of 2019. The provincial government is aware of the issues, adding more changes will be coming. The federal government has mandated next generation uh, uh, 911 service. It has to be in place uh, by 2023. But for those stuck on the line, those changes can't come soon enough. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A terrifying early morning wake-up call for residents of a South Vancouver apartment block. Flames broke out in this three-story building on Marine Drive in Vancouver, trapping seven people. Five of them were rescued from their balconies. While fire investigators are still trying to determine a cause, area residents already have their own theory. I woke up to the fire alarm. It was terrifying. I just, I just looked out the window and I saw the fire. It was approximately around 3.30 in the morning when I uh, woke up to fireworks going off and young people screaming and yelling, specifically a young lady. who was more, She was louder than the rest of them. And then a second fireworks went off right at Heather and Marine. And that's when I got up to look up my window, and the trees across the street were fully engulfed in flames. Thankfully, everyone got out of the building in time. 22 residents have been displaced, and for the next 72 hours, they'll be in the care of social services. Damage to the building is extensive. Fresh conflict over how best to help the homeless in Surrey. BC Housing has set up a new shelter to transition residents out of a camp in a wooded area off the King George Highway. And while some are welcoming the change, Grace Key explains why others are hesitant and fear being kicked out of their current location. Even though we're in the rats in the rain, this is better than being in a shelter with 40 other people. It's a brand new shelter space in Surrey, but some campers at the sanctuary tent city say they want permanent housing, not temporary shelters. Shelters aren't the best place ever because you lose your belongings. You can only have like two bags. I refuse to go in a shelter to be crammed in like sardines. It was moving day for anyone who wanted a space at the Wally shelter, but for those who opted out, they say they want real social housing and that the supportive housing model doesn't work for everyone. The problem is that supports are tied to housing. And if you don't want the supports, you don't get the housing. And what we're saying is we need to have housing. And then individuals can determine what supports they need. The tent city started up in the summer and sits on two private properties off of King George Boulevard. 
The city is concerned about safety, citing a fire on Wednesday. No one was hurt. Campers are worried they'll be forced out, but the city says that won't be happening. We just want to understand their situation and provide whatever assistance we can, but by no means are we forcing them. The new 42-bed low-barrier shelter is a 24-7 operation, and campers at the sanctuary get priority. We have meals provided. Uh, there's two separate dorms, a, a male dorm, female dorm. Uh, so men and women will be... Uh, having their own space and storage inside. Many people have trouble be getting into shelters because of the rules that uh, are created there. Um, shelters are not housing, they're warehousing. And we're going to stay here until we get real housing. And until permanent housing is found, they want the city of Surrey to provide basic services such as washrooms and running water at the tent city. Grace Key, Global News. Right now, though, a news hour follow-up on excessive speeding in this province. Last week, we revealed the number of impoundments due to excessive speeding was more than 7,000 last year alone. Tonight, Catherine Urquhart has more on just how many of those people actually lost their license. And the idea is being floated that could be more of a deterrent. On BC streets and highways, many motorists continue to speed excessively. Last year, 7,648 cars were impounded as a result. And one forensic traffic consultant, a former police officer, says the problem is much worse than we realize. The numbers are actually higher than what's actually being impounded because a lot of officers are exercising roadside discretion and not impounding cars. So for, you're saying it's worse than we realize? Oh, it's higher. Yes, definitely. Most definitely. Motorists aren't hitting the brakes despite stiffer penalties brought in two years ago. Many have even lost their driving privileges. Global News has learned that excessive speeding has resulted in more than 2,000 people losing their licenses annually for various periods of time. BC's Solicitor General considering a review of penalties. I'm certainly uh, open to, uh, to looking at uh, the penalties that are in place, uh, to looking at what additional measures uh, you know, government uh, could be looking at, looking at what's taking place in other jurisdictions. But would higher fines or longer impoundments be the answer? It's about safety at the end of the day. And if that means we have to get tougher, let's get tougher. But let's not view them just as a cash cow. That doesn't solve the core problem. I don't see the points going higher. I could still see them leaving it at three points. But I can see the fines maybe doubling, getting closer to $1,000. Excessive speeding, a concern shared by many. But solutions are all over the road. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Coast Guard emergency today to show you just off Richmond after a large luxury yacht began taking on water. We went down in the engine room and saw how fast the water was coming in and decided uh, that wasn't a fight we were going to fight. The owner of the 26-meter vessel telling Global News his boat hit something, lost a propeller shaft, and began sinking near Sandheads off Steveston. The Coast Guard hovercraft was dispatched, but before it arrived, the three people on board had already abandoned ship and were heading to shore on their tender. We hung around for about 20 minutes and then decided it was time to uh, head to shore, but they got there just as we were leaving and uh, unfortunately too late to pump. So. While everyone on board is safe, the owner says the yacht itself is now at the bottom of the Strait of Georgia. Tough break. All right. Another major labor dispute tonight as more than 3,000 employees of CN Rail have walked off the job across the country. Ted Chernecki now on what services will and won't be affected by the walkout and the ripple effect on BC's economy. 
Think there are a lot of ships anchored in English Bay now? Just wait. This is by far Canada's largest port, and when goods stop moving here, the problems start right across the country. One dollar in three of Canada's trade beyond North America moves through the gateway in Vancouver. And we're dependent on CN for roughly half of that trade moving to and from the port on the land side. The Mining Association of Canada says its products account for half of rail's revenue. The BC Council of Forest Industry says its products account for about 10% of all rail traffic through Western Canada. It's only day one of a strike, and yet... The effects are happening as we speak. Cargo that should be moving to the port is now not moving to the port. Containers that should be moving to importers across the country are now being held up, and the impacts are only going to snowball over the coming hours and days if the strike continues. The union representing the 3,200 workers on strike say this is a dispute more about safety than money. The main issues we're facing are safety, fatigue, time off provisions, and lifetime caps on benefits. While CN is certainly a big part of all rail traffic in and out of BC, in the southern part of the province, Canadian Pacific freight trains continue to operate. Which is why the West Coast Express commuter rail service which operates on CP track, is unaffected by this strike. But there are many, many industries in the rest of the province that are serviced only by CN, and for them, this is a strike that cannot drag on. Ted Chernucky, Global News. We're going 1947, we just had a box truck fly off in the road and hit it. I'm okay. I have one female injured in the ditch. Illinois police are calling it a miracle on the ice after two state troopers and a motorist narrowly escaped death. The troopers were helping the woman change a tire when a truck lost control and slid right towards them. They managed to pull her into a ditch where the truck slid right over her. She was taken to hospital and released. The troopers were not hurt. Wow. Amazing. Three more days of public hearings now underway in the impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump. Today, the inquiry heard from first-hand witnesses testifying they saw the president and his supporters try to pressure Ukraine to investigate his political rivals. If you would both please rise. Adding an oath to tell the truth to one to defend the country, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman testified today about the July call between President Trump and the leader of Ukraine and what he considered an improper demand to investigate Joe Biden and the Democrats. Frankly, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. My worst fear of how our Ukraine policy could play out uh, was playing out. Colonel Vindman, a national security advisor, was on the call, along with Jennifer Williams, a top State Department advisor to Vice President Mike Pence, who also found it unusual and inappropriate. It involved discussion of what appeared to be a domestic political matter. Later in the day, the committee questioned Ambassador Kurt Volker and a former advisor on the National Security Council, Tim Morrison. Ambassador Volker changing his testimony today to say that though he didn't know it at the time, he now realizes people around him did tell Ukraine to announce investigations that could help President Trump in exchange for military aid. And that a request to investigate the Ukrainian gas company, where Joe Biden's son served on the board, was more about targeting the Bidens than rooting out corruption. In retrospect, I should have seen that connection differently. And had I done so, I would have raised my own objections. 
Ambassador Volker saying he was trying to thread a needle in Ukraine to satisfy President Trump in hopes of getting the military aid released without entangling foreign policy and domestic politics. Morrison testified he worried the July call between President Trump and Ukraine's leader could play into partisan politics. My fears have been realized. Though he has said he was not concerned the two leaders discussed anything illegal. Alice Barr, NBC News, Washington. Italian police have released video of a raid on a sweatshop they say is linked to luxury fashion brands, including Fendi and Armani. Police raided the business over the weekend and arrested the head of the company on charges of illegal employment and abduction. They say they found dozens of undocumented workers hiding in a storeroom among rolls of leather and piles of shoes and bags. They included a pregnant woman and two teenagers. None of the high-end companies has confirmed any connection with this company, and one denies any relationship. Two jail guards who were on duty the night accused pedophile Jeffrey Epstein killed himself in his cell have been arrested and charged. The guards are accused of falsifying prison records to conceal what they were allegedly doing instead of watching Epstein. Federal investigators say Tova Noel and Michael Thomas failed to perform mandatory checks on convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, even though his cell was just 15 feet away. Instead, Prosecutors allege the two officers sat at their desk, browsed the Internet, and moved around the common area of the facility for eight hours, then falsified documents saying they actually conducted the required half-hour checks. It is rare to see guards in the Bureau of Prisons be held accountable in a criminal court for felonies. This is a big deal. Epstein, arrested on July 6th, was being held at MCC while awaiting trial on federal sex trafficking charges. According to the indictment, at approximately 6.33, an alarm was activated. Epstein was alone in his cell and not responsive, with a noose around his neck. Today in Washington, the director of the Bureau of Prisons faced questions about the investigation into Epstein's death in one of her facilities. There's got to be either a major malfunction of the system or a criminal enterprise at foot to allow this to happen. So are you looking at both? Is the FBI looking at both? If the FBI is involved, then they are looking at criminal enterprise, yes. The union representing the two officers who both pleaded not guilty say that the charges sidestep the larger problems of understaffing within the federal prison system. Mola Lenghi, CBS News, New York. Some dramatic and troubling new images tonight show just how much Iceland's glaciers have receded in the past decades. A Scottish scientist used new 3D imaging technology to compare pictures from land surveys of the 1980s with current drone footage. They show that Iceland's glaciers have receded as much as several hundred meters per year, highlighting the impact of climate change on the ice. The last 30 years have seen accelerated melting in southeast Iceland. In Health Matters tonight, a new B.C. report says more support and awareness are needed to prevent the devastating tragedy of infant sleep deaths. The report from the Public Safety Ministry, the Solicitor General and the B.C. Coroner says about 23 infants under the age of one die unexpectedly every year while sleeping. The report says infants continue to die under the same circumstances as were identified by an earlier death review panel seven years ago. The new review says there's a need for additional support from trained providers like public health nurses. Continued, consistent and universally accessible messages related to infant sleep and a province-wide approach to reviewing infant deaths.
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, hard to believe, but that is not fog shrouding the city of Sydney, Australia. It is smoke from wildfires. The city's skyline barely visible. Air quality in some parts of Sydney are reportedly over hazardous levels, and people with medical conditions are being told to stay indoors. A number of coastal areas of New South Wales are still at risk from 48 fires burning across the state right now. So far, the fires have destroyed nearly 600 homes and killed four people. Not far from the impeachment inquiry drama, it was an emotional day for thousands of Washingtonians that had nothing to do with politics. The city saying goodbye today to a beloved resident of the National Zoo. It's a bittersweet day at the National Zoo. Goodbye, baby. I would miss you if you went super far away. As visitors say goodbye to Bebe, the beloved panda cub, who captured our hearts from his first cries on camera to doctor visits, snack time, and those adorable tumbles in the snow. From the second he was born, you know, he's really had such a great personality. He's been so joyful. Animal lovers watching Bebe grow up over the years on the popular panda cams and visiting him in person, snapping countless photos of the oversized black and white bears. But today, this youngest panda cub will begin his journey to China to be part of a breeding program there. We're moving the needle a little bit on giant pandas. So they've moved from being endangered to being vulnerable. But I don't want people to think that they can rest. They still need our help. The agreement with China has always been black and white. (laughs) Pandas born in the U.S. are sent to China once they turn four. Bebe celebrated his fourth birthday back in August, so now it's his turn to make the long trip to his homeland. Zookeepers have been working to get Bebe acclimated to the metal crate he'll be riding in during the 16-hour journey, flying in a FedEx plane dubbed the Panda Express. Mainly it's about getting him comfortable with getting into the crate and being ready to, to, to get onto that flight. Feeding him lots of treats to encourage an easy transition. I couldn't be more proud of the team and the the panda because he's going to be a great addition to uh, our Chinese colleagues. They're going to have a blast getting to know him. Caught on video, two large bucks tangled together by their antlers. How it became a life or death emergency and the unusual way they were freed right after the forecast. I'm liking the I'm liking the Husqvarna limb cutter there. (laughs) It's got me interested. Okay, so does the weather. Let's check in with Christy now and look at what's to come tonight. Christmas market just getting set up. It actually opens tomorrow. So looking out over from our tower cam, you can see the lights there. Great to see that. I'll be heading out there, I'm sure, one of these nights. 
We saw blue sky today and the sunrises were sensational. So, uh, Tofino, thank you to John Williams and another one from the central Okanagan Smith Creek area. Thank you to Casey Smith. I like that layer of cloud right through there. We are going to see terrific sunrises and sunsets over the next three days as we continue with this pattern of dry, sunny weather. So big upper level ridge. So share your photos with us, weatherwindow at globaltv.com. You can also tweet at me at uh, kgordonglobalbc. And we also have a sky tracker app where you can upload your photos directly on there. It's going to get cold though without the cloud cover. Of course, we lose heat at night. So wind chills close to minus 13 in Fort St. John, Whistler minus four, and in Metro Vancouver will be dropping down to two degrees. So expect some frost, a little bit of fog tomorrow morning and a chilly start to the morning for the school kids. Uh, they'll need an extra layer in the morning, but at least you won't need a rain jacket and will warm up to 10 degrees under sunny skies in the afternoon. Jet streams driving way up and over us. That's what's helping to protect us. Clear the skies out and that pattern is going to last through until the weekend. Do you remember the soaker of a weekend last weekend? Yeah, how could we forget? Well, we're back into the wet weather on Saturday, similar to last weekend. The difference though, it won't be the record-breaking warmth that we had over the last weekend. It will be cooler. So get out there and do your raking. There's a lot of leaves on the ground right now and you've got three days to get out there before the rain hits and it's going to be a soaker from the weekend through next week likely is the pattern. Here's your Wednesday, everyone. Some cloud cover and showers across the north coast, but otherwise sunny and dry. So we'll see that right across B.C. with the coastal region seeing potential fog in the morning, but otherwise blue sky. So 10 degrees as our high, a little cooler Thursday and Friday. Back to wet weather over the weekend. And as we talked about the record-breaking warmth that we saw this past weekend with all the wet weather, look at this. Cherry blossoms came out in Granville Island. Whoa. Yes, a bit of a shocker there, but they'll be uh, they'll be getting. I don't think you'll see much of that. Sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, thanks, Christy. When a Michigan man spotted two large bucks with their antlers entangled, he knew they wouldn't be able to free themselves, so he called in his friends. That's right, but as they tried to get near the thrashing animals, things took a turn for the worse. So now the bucks are in danger of drowning, and one man makes the decision to try a risky rescue using a tree limb saw. They were helpless in the situation they were in. They, they couldn't help themselves, so this was our chance to make a difference. Yay! Nice cut, and a little wow. souvenir for them, too, at the end no of it all. Kidding. And no one got hurt. No. No. Wow. Shockingly. <laughs> yeah. Just a week after parting ways with Sportsnet, Don Cherry is out with a brand new podcast, and his former co-host says he'll be tuning in. Ron McLean was in Edmonton today to receive an honorary law degree. Before walking the stage, he took questions from reporters. McLean said he doesn't think Cherry is racist for using the phrase you people when complaining about new Canadians not wearing poppies. The 85-year-old later denied he was singling out visible minorities. Today, Cherry released his first Grapevine podcast, where he addressed what has happened and said he was disappointed in McLean reaction well, he's upset uh, but we're all raw so that's uh, as I've said on the TV I love Don uh, I will be it doesn't sound like I would be there for Don but I am uh, we we're, we're just going through uh, one of the most difficult situations uh, because as I said we each made our personal decision McLean says he feels they are still friends who are just going through a tough time can't wait to listen to that.
podcast. We'll see how it goes. They certainly is the end of an era on Hockey Night in Canada. But right. with podcasts, you can keep talking. You sure can. That's the thing about the modern world. Okay, the uh, Canucks' long and winding road starts in Dallas. It's a six-game trip. They are facing the team that beat them 4-2 last Thursday at Rogers Arena. And the Stars have been shining brightly of late, 10-1-1 in their last 12 games. The Canucks, of course, have not had a lot of fun in November, certainly not as much as they did in October. We mentioned this the other day. The biggest difference between October Canucks and November Canucks is really their defensive play. Um, Probably because they've played better teams this month than they did in October, but last month they allowed 2.5 goals per game against, this month 3.2. And as we said, they are in Big D. The Canucks are going to need Big D. But this is not Big D. This is a bad line change. Where are the forwards? Jamie Benn has all day to score this one on Jacob Marks. So another look. Where are they? They're changing. Not very well. He takes his time and scores on the backhand. That made it 1-0 for Dallas. Canucks nearly get a weird goal here. Off Tanner Pearson, off Roman Polak, but it stays on top of the net and doesn't find its way in. And then Jacob, not Jacob Markstrom, Ben Bishop makes a nice save here off Jake Vertanen. And then he runs over Vertanen, or make that Vertanen runs over Bishop, but he was actually pushed in. Just before the end of the period, Denis Gurianov stopped by Markstrom with some help by Quinn Hughes, who was harassing him from the back. one nothing in the second period. Connor Hellebuck and the Jets taking on the Nashville Predators. This is 18 seconds into the game. Patrick Liney gets position and then gets in position to score the first goal. That made it one nothing. Nick Ehlers also in a good spot. Give it to him. Give it to him. There we go. Goal. 2 nothing at that point. 2-1 as they start the third period there. Well, NHL rule, I think it's 8.2, is the one that says if a player goes down with an apparent injury, referees can, if they want, let the play continue until the injured team's players touch the puck. Saturday, Matt Calvert of the Colorado Avalanche was down after getting a shot in the face, but play continued and the Canucks scored. Today, the NHL said it doesn't plan on changing that rule because it's designed to keep players from faking injuries and getting the play stopped. They admit Calvert was not faking, and it's too bad he was on the ice until the goal was scored. Here's what happened. Pedersen takes the shot, and you can see Elias Pedersen, the way he looks right here. He knows something's wrong. Like, watch his hands. Oh, oh, sorry. But the play continues. Calvert tried to get up. It continued until the Canucks scored. Now, to me, I don't know if the ref saw that or if the linesman saw that, but come on. The ref's right there. If a guy gets it off the head, you got to stop the play. And if he's faking, find a way to give him a penalty for doing that. We showed this last night. Remember when the uh, Capitals scored after Brendan Leipzig ran over Derek Grant and there was a fight? Well, during this fight, Garnet Hathaway got into it with another former Canuck, Eric Branson. Leipzig's a former Canuck as well. Then, right there, he spits at Goodbranson. And the NHL is going to talk to him about that. That could be a suspension. Davis Cup. Foshik Pospisil playing a redwood tree. Six foot 11 inch. Riley Opelka 
Canada against the USA, but Pospisil, who pulled a big upset off for Canada yesterday against Italy, doing the same thing for Canada in the first singles match today. And he sends it wide, Canada. So Canada wins the first singles match against the U.S. Then Denis Shapovalov against Taylor Fritz. Shapovalov going up 4-1 in the second set. He won the first set. To win it for Canada, the first time they've ever beaten the U.S. at the Davis Cup. And with this ace and the win, Canada is on to the quarterfinals on Thursday. Seattle Seahawks back in action this Sunday against Philadelphia. They still aren't sure yet if their number one receiver, Tyler Lockett, will be able to play. He spent a couple of days in a San Francisco hospital with a leg injury after the Seahawks win over the 49ers, but they are optimistic he will be able to play. He's, he's really on the road to recovery now. He, he's past that. That was just the initial concern, and, and um, we're very fortunate that we're at a great place, and they took great care of him and all that, and everything worked out fine. So now he's just on the, you know, on the road back and planning on him being able to play, but yet he's got to show it to us, and, and uh, so we'll see. Now, Seahawks boss Pete Carroll is the oldest coach in the NFL, 68. But he still seems to have as much energy as his much younger players. He is constantly clapping, constantly cheering his guys on, constantly congratulating them when they do something well. When they beat San Francisco in overtime in their last game, the Seahawks had a camera crew watching Carroll, seeing how excited he got on the sidelines, especially with his defensive backs play. And also, after the game was over, he still is the best hype man in the NFL in the dressing room. Take a look. At the end of every show, we yeah. all were like that, yeah. Marcy Gabriel, <laughs> one, two, three, news hour? Is that what you yeah. just said? Yeah. Here's your snow report for this evening. The mountains aren't open yet, but we're gearing up for a great season. Whistler Blackcomb will open November 28th. Grouse and Sasquatch, as well as Manning Park, to be determined. Cypress opening December 14th. Revelstoke, Fernie, November 30th. December 6th for Kicking Horse. Big White, Silver Star, November 28th. And Sun Peaks will be the earliest opening this weekend on the 23rd. Apex, December 7th. Mount Washington to be determined. Whitewater, December 6th. Red Mountain, December 12th and Powder King December 5th. Well, there's a new craze involving a beloved Canadian candy with a rather odd name and a small New Brunswick distillery. This is very interesting. Chicken Bones Liqueur hit liquor stores in the Maritimes this week and it flew off the shelves. For those who need a little more explanation, here's Global's Shelley Steves. 
Three of them? Okay. Maritimers lined up for hours to get it like it was the latest edition of a smartphone. I'm not even much of a drinker, but when I heard about this, I wanted some. The last sure. few cases of New Brunswick's new chicken bones liqueur rolled into liquor stores over the weekend and barely made it to the shelves before selling out. I never imagined this would happen. The small distillery behind the craze partnered with candy giant Ganong and infused 1,400 pounds of their infamous chicken bones into its liquor, which sold out nearly 2,500 bottles in 48 hours, with people clamoring for a bottle from right across the country. People outside of the Maritimes might not be familiar with chicken bones, so let's go back in time to where it all began, in 1885 at the Ganong Candy Factory in St. Stephen. They were created by Frank Sparhawk, one of the candy makers that worked uh, in the company at that time, uh, and uh, it's certainly been a family tradition in the Atlantic region ever since. No one knows for sure why Sparhawk called them chicken bones, likely because of its pink candy shell and chocolatey marrow center. Ganong uses the same secret recipe and back-breaking technique today to pump out 7 million chicken bones every holiday season. People who love it really love it, and people who don't like it really don't like it. But add a little booze to the mix. Add alcohol anything's great. <laughs> Trying to deliver the last few cases in his old 1996 pickup has been surreal for Jeremiah Clark. His two-person distillery was only in business for 16 months before it struck gold or pink. So why is the candy liqueur with the quirky name flying off the shelves? It's simple, really. It brings back such nostalgia and it's, uh, it's something a New Brunswicker can identify with and connect with. And I, I think that is the sole reason why we've seen this uh, sell off the shelves. Now, if you didn't get a chance to try out the highly sought-after liqueur, don't despair. Ganong has ramped up chicken bone production so Clark can pump out 6,000 more bottles yeah. before Christmas. We know that uh, a lot of people would like to see this uh, in their homes during the holidays. Mind you, we may need to get a bigger truck. Shelley Steves, Global News, Rothsay. There we go. Like, what, what would be the pairing? That's a very good question. Chicken? Dessert? Yeah, chicken chicken <laughs> soup <laughs> made from chicken, chicken bones. Chicken bones. So that's not, the chicken bones have nothing to do with this. This is just... No, no. there are that's no the actual name of the candy. Bones. That's it. There are right. no chickens harmed. Have you ever tried one of those candies before? I never even knew they existed. So. No. I don't know. So. We're, we'll try to find them for Christmas that this year. That would be nice. It does remind me of the Chico Stick from Texas, though, which is another, like, why would they call it the Chico Stick? Look it up. Last <laughs> word on weather before we go. Five seconds. Sure. So cold tomorrow morning, but lots of sunshine during the day. All right. Good night, all. Thanks for watching.